This podcast was sponsored by Panic Brand. Panic Brand is the modern apparel store for the modern meme machines of 2020. By using the link in the description below, you'll get a discount, and a portion of that goes towards High Tech Low Life, your favorite YouTuber. And there's plenty of outfits to choose from. There's plenty of shirts to choose from, and I'm sure you'll find one that you'll like. Welcome to High Tech Low Life, where today I have for you a returning cavalcade of podcast casts. Unfortunately, Budgerific won't be joining us this week, but I believe she will be joining us next week for the special Halloween episode, or whenever we do it, really. And uh, why, don't you, why don't you say hi to everyone? We have Elroy and Kay, and we have... A new co-host today, Immortal You. Why don't you say hi to everyone, guys? Hello. Maybe too loud. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all right. All right. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I've met these people in college, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, I've been doing my own things uh, since I left college for a while, but. At least I've actually been working pretty hard on, on what I do. So I just work in manufacturing, and um, yeah, that's very that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, to the viewers at home, I think you remember the other two pod the co-hosts too, Elroy and Kay. Why don't you two say hi? Hello, greetings to the listening audience. Yes, indeed. And so let's get down to business, shall we? Let's talk about our first topic of the day: product placement. In movies, in video games, in other media, what, what's your opinion on this? Product me... placement. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Product placement is one of those things. No matter how much some people are critical of it, it's just a facet of our society. And the whole purpose of it is to draw brand awareness, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in very over-the-top ways. For example, one of the most popular examples, if you've seen E.T., that was a whole campaign for Reese's. For Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I believe it was Pepsi was all over that movie, if I'm not mistaken. But those are just, like I said, a couple of examples. And the whole point is, like I said, for you to be come well-versed with that particular brand, and they want to do it in a way where there's a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. What about you, Immortal You? What are your thoughts on product placement? I've actually seen, like, I think Activision, with their Call of Duty, they say they're putting their own, like, games into them, so that, that literally, I make, I understand that. But sometimes, like, product placement, in terms of uh, like Pepsi, Coca Cola, putting themselves into a movie, it's just like a lot of money just just to just to promote something. What about you, Kay? Uh, there's a few cases where I've seen it's been rather entertaining. I think there was a couple of pizza examples I can think of, but um, in general, it there's 
it's very rare that I see it done well or done in a way that isn't very glaringly obvious what they're doing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those things that it's you know, one, it's clearly advertising. And two, you know, you, it's something that very rarely enhances a story, if not outright just takes away from it. Like, you know, I think there are some there are some examples where it might enhance it. Like uh I remember um, uh, Stranger Things season two, they're eating KFC and it's like the seven it's like the seventies, right? And you know. Actually, it might be eighties. You're right. It's a little. It's very on the nose, and you know the one and uh, that one guy says it's pretty looking good, like just straight up. But I think it. I think that kind of enhances it too. You know what I'm saying? You know what's the best? What? The best examples for product placements: South Park. It has like every yeah. every project placement you can find. Yeah, but and South Park is making fun of them typically. And don't forget, um, Back to the Future 2, um, those famous Nikes actually did um, get mass released. So that was a big campaign for Nike in terms of when Mike McFly went to the future. You know what would have been sick? You know what would have been sick, though, is uh, if they had a product placement for flying cars in that movie instead. Too bad we're going to get one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Just give it time. But Man, let's I be get... honest. Product placement is also how a lot of movies are made. Because, I mean, James Bond, the Bond film franchise is the king of this in terms of all of those gadgets that have made billions over the years. It's basically the Batman of all movies. In well, terms of product placement, it really yeah. is. Yeah, let's see. You got, um, uh, you, got a lot of, you got a lot of Sony stuff in there. I remember Casino Royale had a lot of Sony Vios. I mean, I'm not sure which... I don't, I'm not sure what, like hotly international spy would use such a recognizable brand but like and don't forget bmw no they no james bond typically drives an aston martin there were but there were bmws in um some point in the bond series but either way you still get the point in terms of product placement so that's two major car brands i thought the bmws were mostly from the tom cruise movies i'm sure they had those too well, that's the thing. A lot of time with product placement, brands don't have to be loyal to one particular group of films. A lot of times you may see them in different movies or different forms of media. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think in the original Bond books, um, uh, James Bond, I believe, drove a Bentley instead of uh, Aston Martin in the books. And so I think they would have, I think... Uh, had Bentley capitalized on the uh, whole product placement thing, I think they could have gotten it, and it would have been like book accurate. Yeah, you know, I don't think anybody really cares about that for a James Bond movie, but you know, still. Hmm. So, any more thoughts on product placement? Isn't Cyberpunk supposed to have product placement sometime in the near future? Well, what do you mean? I mean, like, from what I've seen, like, I've heard, like, Cyberpunk is supposed to have, like, I don't know, like, Coca-Cola. I, I've seen, I think I've heard, like, they had, like, some kind of deal with, like, with some big popular products. But I'm not really too sure. I and don't think. For... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Don't forget GM was all over Transformers. Oh, <laughs> I remember that. So was, Bud- so was Budweiser, too. 
especially in the fourth, especially in the um, uh, the fourth movie, the one with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Hi. Uh, okay. You don't you don't remember you don't remember that scene? He's in China, and like they got shot out of a building or something like that. And then he get in some like Chinese guy gets like all up in his face for getting in his way. And he gets up all of his face, grabs a beer from one of the crashed Budweiser trucks, starts chugging the crap out of it. Oh my god, that that that's the most egregious scene. And you really have to check it out for yourself here. And if there are any Idiocracy fans out there, um, that was one of the earliest promotions for Starbucks I had ever seen. Idiocracy. Yeah. yeah, that's a yes. That's a good... If you if you remember, um, there's a scene where you see uh something that looks very very reminiscent of a Starbucks logo. Uh, yeah, but that's but that that's making that's satire. That doesn't really count as product placement. At least not in the same way we see it as. No, actually, it was product placement. Um, in Idiocracy, they did that intentionally in regards to Starbucks. So that was intentional. Like Starbucks actually paid them to be mocked. Well, yes, and the fact that they even referenced it. So there you go. And Carl's Jr. may also have been referenced in the movie, but you still get the point, though. Like I said, that was an early example before it became the juggernaut that we know it as. That those are good examples of product placement, especially especially the Carl's Jr. ones, especially the Carl's Jr. one. And for those who um. Are not necessarily from the West Coast. Calls Junior and Hardy's are synonymous. It just depends on the matter of location. Yeah, crazy to think about. Anyways, y'all. Anyways, any final thoughts on this topic before we move on? I think we're we're good for now. (laughs) All right, all right. Now let's talk about the second topic of the day: region locking in media. And region locking has been prevalent since the dawn of, well, media, really. It's been certain pieces of media are made to cater to certain demographics in certain regions. And there's cultural differences in regards to who enjoys what, etc., etc. That said, they've also gone out of the way to create technologies that make it so that I can't watch, like, a DVD I buy from like Vietnam or China or Japan or whatever and play it in like a European or American DVD player now. What are your thoughts on that? Can I just say Crunchyroll has the most broken region locking in media ever. They have so many animes in there but they just region lock it like in EU and stuff. I'm like why do you even do that? But you know when you look at this region locking phenomenon as um, Star alluded to, it impacts how we take in certain media because a lot of times when it even comes to if you're going to share music on social media, you got to be careful because within a matter of about 20 seconds, you may get hit with the message that's only available in certain regions. And it could be an extremely popular song, but due to a variety of reasons, you won't be able to get it if you live in certain regions, unfortunately. Unless you, unless you pirate it, which I... Strongly, just strongly, do not recommend doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody recommends pirating, especially not to the casual person. But if you're someone that's experienced, you don't have to listen to us, anyways. 
Any thoughts on reason locking K? Oh, not particularly. I think you've pretty much covered uh, the topic as far as I'm concerned. Yes, and so I think what and so one of the big strides towards unblocking region locked content, especially for like in streaming services, is that is if you're going the legit way, is to get a VPN. And this video is not sponsored. This video podcast isn't sponsored by any VPN person. Otherwise, you know, I'd be telling you about it. But VPNs are often ways to get around censorship. I know Netflix has some anti-VPN technology. Not really familiar with what they do because I don't really use Netflix. I don't really use any streaming services because I know exactly where to get my stuff if I really want it. Please sponsor us. We'll see. We'll see if they sponsor <laughs> us. Yeah, they'll eventually. One, one of these days. <laughs> but but uh, for video game companies, depending on how much fans want to put out, that is a way to um get them to invest in their particular consoles, especially for those who like JRPGs. They might be inclined to have a Vita or something of the like. PS5. <laughs> All right, here's here's the thing with region locking video games. Different ga- different regions in the world have different pricing models for games depending on like the economy's buying power. So, back before Steam basically locked up and made region locked co- um, uh, codes, essentially you could buy games from any region and link them to any account and they'd be like a quote-unquote global version, you know? Like Games in Russia and like Brazil and those second world countries, so to speak, those countries, they're a lot cheaper than games that you would buy in like the US or Canada or Australia. In fact, Canada and Australia have more expensive video games than the US does. Say uh, that Australia has literally has the biggest delay in like all in all of gaming. Wait, what do you mean by that? Every time you someone plays a multiplayer, like tries to connect to a multiplayer server, their server is like so far away that like people end up like lagging, lagging so hard and lag so hard. Well, you shouldn't. Well, you shouldn't even be playing with Australians. (laughs) That's the thing. Australia, Australian people can play with people in Ocean in like the oceanic countries such as like Singapore or Malaysia SCA <laughs> and they can also yeah the southeast asia and they can also play with people from like New Zealand they have their own little region they can call it oceana and that's totally fine with them but i mean like if you're playing a like a well coded multiplayer game with like region servers then but why are we even talking about region servers okay let's go <laughs> it's still region logging but whatever so region locking that's why a lot of people back in the day used to get like mod chips nowadays games are region free you can import a game from japan and play it typically on your ps4 or xbox most most consoles aren't region locked anymore how about that i've seen some some games still region locked what what game what game released this generation is region locked? Let me check. And I'm willing to bet those are like really niche Japanese games that 
wouldn't get a release in America anyways. Uh, I think there was one game called... Okay, that was, a long, that was so long ago. Okay, but... um, As we... As we no. Thinking. Some visual novels are still region locked. That's what I need to think of. Visual novels? Yeah. Okay. Alright. You mean, by region locking, you mean they're not sold in America, right? They're not sold in America. Well, I mean, that's not what I meant by re- region locking means that, like, you take your Japanese game and not, and you're unable to play it on your American console, which just isn't true nowadays. Nowadays, you can add, like, a Japanese PlayStation account to your PS4 and buy Japanese games. You have to buy, you have to buy Japanese PlayStation money, but the fact of the matter is it's very possible. Okay, let me just say, I think the region locking is mostly in mobile games now. Because there's a there's a Konosuba game that's just region locked in Japan and it's not coming out to America. Wow, whatever, man. <laughs> I don't want to talk about gacha games right now. This isn't the this isn't the time. So, any final thoughts on region locking? No final thoughts? Alright. Let's move on to the next topic. Skill-based matchmaking. Is it really as bad as people say it is? Is it really that controversial? Depends Dang. on whether it's implemented well or not. Well, I'm sorry, what did you say? say? Depends on whether or not it's implemented well, or if they're kind of using an improper system for their game. Like, um, uh, one thing I've always heard about is how the ELO system was mostly, it's primarily used for chess in a one-on-one setting and doesn't always translate well to team-based games. That does make sense. You see the Call of Duty, how, how, like how Call of Duty's um, matchmaking has been? That, it, looks, it, it looks really, really bad over there. Uh, you're going to have to elaborate. I haven't played Call of Duty since, like, high school yeah but like so basically they implemented a a matchmaking i think they implemented some kind of matchmaking into the into the multiplayer servers and all of a sudden like you have but the matchmaking is so terrible that like people have been have been complaining for like two three years now how is it terrible because like you have you're basically you're basically dogfighting against better Better um players. So what you're saying is the system doesn't work. No, the system does not work. <laughs> okay, Here, all right. Here's my thing about matchmaking. I think I'm not completely opposed to the idea, but the way I would envision it is, it should be something that as players um prepare to do matches, it should be an option that they choose. Do they want to take the challenge of playing higher ranked players, hoping to move up? Or do they want to get some practice in with those that may be similarly skilled? But it shouldn't be something where it's forced on you, but you should have the option to choose if you want to engage in or not. Well, the idea behind skill-based matchmaking is it's supposed to protect you from higher-ranked players if in case you're like a, low, like a new player. Like, like, a lot of new players, I bet you, if they were matched up with literal pros in the league, or someone like me who's extremely good at video games, I would... I would dare I would dare say, or someone like you who's good at video games. And let's say you continually trounce them and they can't seem to get in a good match with other rookies. 
they would probably quit the game, right? There's a likelihood. Yes. There's a good that, likelihood that could happen. That's why fighting games are so unpopular, because fighting games, you're matched up with people that have been playing since like Street Fighter 2 in like they're in like 20 years and they've been playing for like 20 almost 30 years uh and they have like genre awareness that you know doesn't come with doesn't come with just having skill it comes with time as well I'm going to tell you something the worst thing about skill based matchmaking is our smurfs smurfs are <laughs> Destroy, I think the Smurfs are destroying matchmaking because Smurfs are Smurfs are not a problem with the skill-based matchmaking itself. It's a, skill, it's a problem with the players. They should... Companies have policies where you can't have more than one account at a time. Obviously, no one follows these policies, but the fact of the matter is they can enforce it if they find out you're actually a Smurf. But they won't. <laughs> I highly doubt they'll ban them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because there's a chance that they could just ban someone that gets the game really quickly. But what I'm saying is that there's a there's a way to fix that skill based matchmaking. But Sorry, the yeah. thing about that is, though, I know smurfing is frowned upon. We all agree that. Agree to that, but the thing is, sometimes people may have a reason for creating said Smurf accounts, so it's still something that'll be hard to regulate because, if for some reason, even if it was just because of a misunderstanding, if my account gets banned, I create a new account, of course, I won't be a low level no matter what my skill is in a particular game. Well, here's the thing though skill based matchmaking isn't based on like a rank, like you know how like a lot of games have like level systems where oh you're level 60 that means you've been playing forever and and sometimes it's irregardless of skill right like call yes. of duty has a system like that but also also halo back in the old days halo had a skill-based system where you would only level up if you if you're winning and you know you would continually progress and play against people of very similar levels the max level being like i think level 50 in a skill-based playlist. There should be there should be two playlists. One playlist should be casuals, where there should be some level of skill-based matchmaking, but it's very loose, so to speak. And there should be a competitive playlist where you play against people of very similar skill, you know? Literally any MOBA game. Literally any MOBA game. MOBAs are fucked. Let me let me be frank. MOBAs are totally like whack because uh, I don't I don't know how to describe it, but they, I mean I play a lot of MOBAs. A lot of the MOBAs don't have functioning ranked like the way they sh the way you expect. You know what I'm saying? Like I think Lee I think League might be one of them. I, I'm. I'm I think League works, but only because they've had it. They, the League's like 12 years old at this point. League and Dota. League and Dota. Those two... Well, Dota's a little bit weird. Uh, has, 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 has had its moments of being a little bit weird. But most newer games don't have the maturity of either of those games. And as a result, the skill-based matchmaking doesn't work. Like Overwatch... Overwatch's matchmaking system is broken. 
I've seen, I've heard I've heard that I've heard about that. I've played Overwatch and and I've watched my cousin play too. He plays a lot more than I do and he's a he's a diamond rank, but sometimes he'll get matched with like silvers and like sometimes he'll get matched with like grandmasters and it's actually insane just the rank. That that shouldn't happen. Yeah, that that their system is completely whack whack wackadoo. So for whatever reason. So like- my so my personal stance is that skill-based matchmaking needs to exist in order to foster a player base. Otherwise, it's going to be run over by pe- the sweaties and the people who don't call themselves sweaties but are, like, you know, streamers. I see most of these complaints come from streamers who don't want to put in, who they want to look like they're good. So they just, like, whine about how the game doesn't let them be good. They don't want to put in the effort in the putting their wins. Like, Elroy, don't you... Elroy and K, don't you believe that you should put in the work to win? Yeah, of course. Especially if you're playing against someone else who is hopefully putting in the same amount of work? I, would, I suppose so. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, it's meant to prevent easy, wi- easy like hand wins. And, you know, winning feels rewarding. Winning should feel rewarding, right? I mean, that's at the backbone of video games. That was the whole point. I mean, we're not in that era now because the dominant game in terms of popularity aren't the ones that are score-based per se, but that was the whole point to grind to the point where you could be one of the best of the best. Yeah. And, like, I certainly don't feel satisfying when I play someone that's never played a fighting game before. I don't feel satisfied when I beat them. You know, you guys know. You guys know this. You see, you've seen that. I have felt that before. I was like, "This is not. This is not satisfying. Why am I even playing with this? With this? With you know, movies?" It's funny you mentioned this. Um, Star Ray may remember me telling this story, but one of the first anime conventions I went to, they had a console room where you could play um, consoles of different periods. At this time, PS2 was still popular, so this was around the PS2 generation. Just to get some hindsight. Comes- just to give hindsight of just how far anime conventions have come. But anyhow, I was playing Soul Calibur on Dreamcast. And I was playing this one kid. I was clearly better than him like five times in a row. It had to get to the point where he keeps trying, but I just have to bow out. Nothing personal, but I just don't want to keep doing it because I already know how the outcome was going to go. I was just, I was just, giving, I was just giving him the pity win by then. I, I, no, he hasn't earned the win, but I would bow out. Just, and that's uh, what I did because it's just like he was trying, but it was not going to go in his favor. It was clear. Was he ever close? Not really. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, that is right. But you never know, though, because I've seen the kid never play Initial D and he was like a prodigy. He gave the person that won the tournament a run for his money. And this was just some kid that never even played the game. He just, once he, it was instinctual for whatever reason, once he started playing. And initial D has a learning curve for those who have played or haven't played, so you just never know sometimes. I'm used to arcade racing games, but I've never played initial D before, no. I would recommend uh, it, but anyhow. Let's, uh, yeah, I think it's time to move on. Let's move on to the next topic. Remakes, remasters, demakes, demasters. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, it'd probably be good to clarify what you you mean by... uh, D makes and D masters because those are less common terms. 
Oh, those. Oh, that's that was just part of the title I made and the list. We're just mostly talking about remakes and remasters. Let's talk about the Mulan movie because that movie was I heard was terrible. I've watched it. It, it's it. When you watch it, it doesn't seem all that bad. It's not as good as the original, obviously, but. The more you think about it, the worse the movie just becomes. That's just how it is. That's just how it was for me. For me, a remake nightmare was... I'm a personal fan of Paul Verhoeven's classic um, 1980 movies, Robocop, the original. I'm guessing everybody may have seen it on the podcast. Maybe, maybe not. But anyhow... I've seen it. The original is a classic. Then they remake it, and it's just like, what are you doing? Because they go for a whole totally different dynamic. Because with the original, it was more of a um, social commentary in terms of when you look at what was going on in Detroit at that time, in terms of what they portrayed in the movie, and even when you look at contemporary Detroit. But it, it lost that element in regards to how, for the sequel, it seemed like they wanted to focus on the special effects and see what kind of money grab they could um, do with it. Yeah, that's I mean that's kind of how it is. Robocop was violent, and a lot of the violence was there to you know shock you. Even, although they made a lot of kids merchandise on Robocop, uh, they made they ended up. Robocop. Oh, did something happen to me? I think so. Briefly disconnected and reconnected. Oh shoot! Well, anyways, I'm still back on. Anyways, yeah, you so, so what I was saying was that. They made the PG-13 RoboCops in order to cater more towards kids. And now this is also a PG-13 RoboCop and also more towards more for the same. And I agree. It, it doesn't have the same... What's the word? Je ne sais quoi? It doesn't have the same feeling because it's obviously not meant to be the same movie. That said, it does feel worse. There are some really there are no don't get me wrong. There are some really good scenes in the RoboCop remake, like the one where, like the one where he's first he is first RoboCop, but he's attached to like a pole or something. He's hooked in, and essentially they they tear away like all of his Robo part limbs to see what's left of. Him. That's a I think that I thought that was a really good scene in a otherwise mediocre movie. And then he talks about how he wants to die instead. I don't know. Oh, do you guys hear there's a... Uh, I think there's a remaster for... Or some... I don't know. Is there a remaster for Pikmin 3? No, I, I, I... I've never actually played any of the Pikmin games. But what about you, what about you guys? <laughs> I haven't played any Pikmin either. I played like most, Pikmin 2. That was, that was I'll it. be honest, the most experience I have with Olimar is from Smash Brothers. I'm just gonna be <laughs> honest. Yeah, same. I I, and I hate him. I I cannot stand I I try I've tried playing him, I can't stand it. Can you believe that Grand Theft Auto 5 is being is still is still being um still being like remastered? <laughs> I think it's it's, remastered, it's still remastered to next gen consoles. I can believe it. Rock, rock star, bunch of greedy buttholes. I just found it interesting though with what Immortal you just raised because it seemed like their most popular game was going to end up being San Andreas. The way um, it's still universally loved, but Five definitely is the one, like you said, that was most commercially viable. 
It's funny you'd mention that because GTA Five also takes place in the same like area as San Andreas. But it's, it's a just... totally different gaming experience, though. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I just thought it was ironic. You could think of it as like a semi remake, sort of. Not really, but you know. But that game is coming. But that, I, that... I guarantee it. Because of the money that Sand Race and the popularity behind it, there's going to be some type of remaster in the future, I think. I might be Especially a re- when you... Okay, there might be a remake for uh, San Andreas. I could probably see that. But a remaster, they probably need to ante up their own graphics a little bit higher. It's Rockstar. They, they have the capability of doing so. They're literally the rock stars of the gaming industry, literally. They live up to their name. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> now... And plus, they they do what Rockstar does extremely well is a lot of there's a lot of attention to detail, especially in like Red Dead Redemption Two. I think they they they've done a lot of things that, quite frankly, no one would ever really notice. Like your horse's like testicle shrink when it's like in the snow. Like you, like I forget I forget why they mentioned that, but it's just a thing that they added, and it's really weird. But I thought it was really cool tech that they made. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think most of these games are going to be um, re-releases or remasters because new-gen consoles are coming out. So some of these of games from a PS4 is going to be into or coming to the PS5 or in the or the Xbox um, series. Are well, be here, like here, here's my thing with remakes and remasters of this of this coming generation, this next gen. The the thing here is that the games are fully backwards compatible. And now they're coming and now there are, I guess, patches or upgrades. The various upgrades. So yeah, sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties. Uh so what what were you guys saying again? We were continuing the discussion about uh remakes. Remakes, yes. remasters on from previous gen to next gen. But so, I can't but I can say, in terms of we looking at um, reading, um, well, we haven't quite gotten to the remastered part of the discussion. So, if you don't mind, Star, can I take it there? Yeah, go ahead and take it. That is was a well welcome thing for me in terms of when Crash, um, Bandicoot, and Spyro got remasters for PS4, because there was such great gaming experience for me in my childhood. Because I mean, both of my two beloved platformers. Um, but it's good for those who didn't necessarily play. This is an experience they can teach their kids to say, well, here, Crash and Spyro, I grew up with them. They may not be as familiar to you, but here's a chance for you to experience them as well. Don't forget, you also have Super Mario uh, 64 to Galaxy. That was us too. Yeah, those, yeah those... those are not remakes or remasters. I think those are ported. I believe those are just ports. Yes, they're they're just ports. They're not they're, they're there's no graphical upscaling or enhancements, and they're not totally new game. They're not totally new games built from the ground up either. They're just emulated versions of those old games that can be that are made easily playable on your Nintendo Switch controllers. You know what? I just, I just, I was just looking. Um, there's this PS4 game called Pans- Who's played Panzer Dragoon? Like. Way back I've when. heard of it. Yeah, yeah it's, they, an old, it's an old Saturn game. Yeah, they remade. They remade it. I mean, I'm not. I'm not surprised. Sega loves rehashing the same ideas too. Let's be frank. 
Well, I'll wait um Switch getting a new Knights game then, but anyhow. Come on, you know that's never happening. Hey, they should, but anyhow. That that that's water in the bridge. So Yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm an avid Saturn owner and I, even I know these things are quite foolhardy. I'm gonna keep looking, but there's also Prince of per- the Prince of Persia or uh, the Santa Time is getting remake. Yeah, every every like, game is getting remade or remastered. Come on. A lot of these more. games have been have become But let me pose a question to my fellow hosts. As we talk about this topic, what are some games that you would love to see with um current graphics get a nice um remake or remaster? Um well I for one would love to see vanillaware games be ported to PC. And they can up the graphics if they want, but I do I just want them on PC. Like uh Odin Sphere Lethashir is one as well as a Muramasa Rebirth. Have you played those games? I haven't. Muramasa was originally on the Wii. And um uh, the game is gorgeous. It's like a mix of like anime and like traditional Japanese watercolor. It's beautiful. And it's almost the same with uh Odin Sphere Lethashir. Well, Odin Sphere Lethashir is a re- is actually a remake of a PS2 game called Odin Sphere. Well, funny enough. I would just love I I just want to see those ported. As well as the new vanillaware game that's gotten rave reviews. Um uh 13 Sentinels Igus Rim, I believe it's called. It's on PS4. I think hoping Shadow Shadow Colossus is actually gonna be on PC. <laughs> the, Sony would never allow that to happen. Sony would never allow that to happen. You might as well ask them to see if they'll port God of War. Actually they've started they started to put some um Sony games uh, like they put um Horizons uh, Zero, I think, into uh, as a PC, and Death Stranding into into PC. Kojima always wanted Death Stranding, and Kojima is basically the, a rock star. They they basically have to cave into his demands. I guess so. Koji, Kojima basically just gets whatever he wants, unless he's with <laughs> Konami. Then Konami just kicks him out of the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um... So. Else for me, in terms of games that I would love to see be given new life in terms of on these next gen systems, I wouldn't mind another um Mystic Ninja game, even though I haven't played it. I've watched playthroughs and have close friends that have played it, and they have nothing but um positive things to say about it. And you know, the one that I've talked about that's nearest and dearest to my heart in particular, probably more so because the music than anything. Come on, Chrono Trigger. Come on, um, Squaresoft. Where's the Chrono Trigger at? Come on, show Chrono Trigger some love. Yeah, we know you did Final Fantasy VII, but the new gen, need, this um, current generation of gamers need to experience what it means for Chrono Trigger. The whole time traveling done right in popular media for once. Come on. Are you talking about Mystical Ninja Goemon? Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's Konami owns that franchise. Oh, no wonder. There we go. <laughs> but there's hope for Chrono Trigger though, because um, Squaresoft could do that. So let's oh. hope that does happen. I could see Chrono Trigger getting a re, or could get a remake. I could see that happening. I can see it happening, but Modern Square is very questionable when it comes to their quote unquote remakes or remasters. Have you seen what? Have you seen the Final Fantasy VII remaster? No, Final Fantasy VII remake. 
They yeah, changed they... the story. I heard they changed the story, and I guess they had we had to wait like ten to twenty years for it to get part two and part three. Um, like and yes, yes, we have um heard about it because our friend that we always reference um yes our mutual friend stop talking about it. When it first was released, he could not stop talking about it. So most of us have heard about it. So, spoil. So, are are Final Fantasy VII spoilers off off the table yet? Let's. I said we can shelve that because maybe we do something when our I friend appears on an episode because he'll love to talk about it. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we'll save that for him. Yeah. We'll give him his own segment. <laughs> he was just posting. He was just constantly posting about it. I was like. Please make it stop. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too, man. <laughs> me too. Especially when he Aerith posts. Ugh. Like, man. He was simping over her. That was the thing. I was like, please stop. He's <laughs> always simping over her. I was, you know, waiting for uh, him to react happily or not to see how far the game went but you know well he, he really was quite obsessed with that game i mean i i, I understand Aerith Same here. his first video game girl crush and uh you his know when his like, wife i think is yeah some would say his first wife <laughs> but like you know Matt, yeah you see you've all seen the scene we you've seen how she dies we all have. Just confirm. Yes. We all heard um, during our collegiate experience talk him talk about this waifu shrine, and being that I actually did visit him a couple years ago, I've witnessed it. It is what he said it was. Just to oh god, god, <laughs> oh my god! Yes, the waifu shrine is real, dude. I I think I, I think I just go hide in the corner. <laughs> it's it's I've seen worse. Probably there's a, there's a lot worse, especially in. Japan. Oh, Japan! Japan is the is the worst place to actually to find like. Well, I mean, that's kind of where it almost like totally originated. But let's yeah, I guess so. let's okay, let's let's, let's just... move on. Let's move on to the next topic. We're getting totally off topic. Yeah. <laughs> so the next topic is cameos, fan creations, and what really is what really constitutes as IP infringement. So our yeah. good, so our good friend over here, Elroy, follows the WWE, and I believe he talked about this at some t- at some point in time in regards to yes. So yes, do mention some of our listeners may remember a couple or so episodes ago. It was mentioned how Vince McMahon had proposed a major policy change in terms of how, in terms of if and what would be plausible for wrestlers in WWE to use their wrestling personas in terms of outside engagement. Well, he came up with a defender policy, and the rule is now in terms of if they have a cameo, some of that money has to go to WWE. It's not something that's negotiable. So it comes to the question of, should you want to work under those conditions, or should you try to find some way where you can um, capitalize off your likeness without money going to a person that may didn't even have anything to do with develop the um particular persona you took on. Hmm. Well, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the wrestlers' personas are treated as separate characters. You know what I'm saying? Like the Undertaker is one such a character. 
and he's but, arguably the, and he's arguably the most broken character in all of wrestling. He can literally die and come back to life. How is that not totally broken in wrestling? It's all part of theatrics, but um, <laughs> in regards to the topic, this whole idea of IP infringement is nothing new, because I can remember something I learned playing Persona Five. There was an attempt where somebody wrote a book and they tried to insert Sherlock Holmes and they gave him some conky name like Herlock Holmes or something. But the original author, of course, got witness of that and basically shut that down so that did not happen again. So if you're going to, in terms of wanting to create a character that may be based off of the inspiration, there need to be key differences because just a subtle difference is like um, playing around with the name it's not going to be the answer because they will come for you. Or even when it comes to music, the melody cannot be eerily similar. It can it can be have some of the same tone, but if it's too similar, they will come for you. I mean, that's just a reality. I mean, that's true. That's true. You have um, uh, that's true. You have a lot of um, uh, similarities in songs. You remember um. Uh, Remember Ice Ice Baby and Under Pressure? Basically, well... Yes. That's a very yeah. good example. That is a very good example. It's a good and song, by the way. The Queen one, I mean. Not, not the... And you want to talk Ice about one. IP infringement. Did, were you guys familiar with the major lawsuit about the song Game Over from Namco? No. I'm not no. familiar with that. But, no. but the artist Little Flip... He used the Pac-Man, I believe it was the Womp sound for Pac-Man without their permission, and they came for him. And that's why you never heard, the, even though it was a very popular song, after a while you did not hear it anymore because Namco was furious that this person didn't, didn't have any kind of agreement with them to use that. And that's just a minute aspect of Pac-Man, but the sound that Pac-Man made. And that was all throughout the song. Well, it's iconic, man. And it really, it really calls the question, like, Pro, like you know, product placement and all that stuff. Wow, it goes back to product placement. Like, can you not put these products in your movie or like, like can you not mention like, let's say there's a song and it has and it mentions sipping on Pepsi. Like, do you is is that considered IP infringement or like some other songs where it's like, I'm oh I'm going Donkey Kong or some shit like that. Like or like. Like, that's a matter of depending on what kind of contracts are made because you got to remember with product placement, that's a matter of contracts. The company, and like a lot of like, the, yeah, agreements are made, but that's something that you know you will have to research because if let's say it's Paramount Pictures, if they do have some type of agreement with Coca Cola, there's no way they're going to allow you to have that Pepsi song on the soundtrack. That's just not going to happen. Well, it's not a Pepsi song, it's just. It's just a really song that example. actually adds the thing that adds the um whatever thing it is in the in the song for some reason. And there's a lot of rap songs that mention going super saiyan because I mean that's something they enjoyed or like about to finish you off, et cetera, et cetera. Because like you know, rap people that write a lot of rap music are like low key nerds. That is true in like, a number of instances, and that is definitely something we could explore, like in a future topic, in terms of um, nerdism and popular culture, because it's definitely much more embraced now. It's not taboo like it was like in the eighties. Thank God, too, man. I couldn't imagine living in the eighties. But yeah, like so a that's lot. Some, 
that's something that we should um talk about too. Um, um, nerdum and popular culture. Yes, and I think another thing we need to mention about this topic is fan creations. You know, fan movies, fan games, and how sometimes companies are okay with it, but sometimes companies will go after. I think Nintendo is the only one that comes to mind that's been especially like litigious when it comes to these fan games. Like, uh, I got something about fan fan creations. So I've actually gone to on Reddit, Reddit way back a little while back of Five Nights at Freddy's. I went to the Five Nights at Freddy's Reddit. The creator of Five Nights at Freddy's is porting all the fan creations into console. Okay, all right. That's that's one thing. I know another person that's doing something very similar, but in the literary sense, is the guy that wrote the Metro 2033. And essentially, he created an initiative in order for people to write their own stories based in the Metro 2033 universe. But and a lot of... We... A lot... Yeah? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Excuse me. No, no, no. Go ahead, man. And... Use another example in terms of how you can take these ideas and do it right. Will Smith recently announced that there's going to be a reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and this also ties into our previous topic of remasters. Remakes, no, excuse me. no way. There's no yes, way. because he confirmed, it. he confirmed it. Because what happened was there was a leaked video about a couple of years ago. A person created. Um, his proposal on how he will re-envision a more darker, more edgier Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Will Smith loved the idea. And two years later, he announced that they will be revisiting that and working on producing the actual show. Well, it's what weird. Is... That show was supposed to be comedy. Comedy. Uh-huh. was supposed to be mostly comedy. It's a sitcom. Yeah, it's a sitcom. Well, yeah, it is. But yes, but in terms of the reboot, if it goes the way that the original pitch was made, there will be a darker tone to it because it's not, I mean, it still have those family-friendly elements, but there still will be a difference in terms of the Fresh Prince character. Mm, that, are they, would they be breaking back the original cast for the most part? Because James Avery well, Jones is dead. See, the thing is, they will be using fresh characters, but there will be a Fresh Prince reunion soon. But as far as the show, they would need newer characters in terms of their whole youthfulness because all of these Fresh Prince characters from then are probably at minimum 40 or if not older. So they'll be bringing in fresh faces. Do you think, they be, you think Will Smith will be part of it too? He's saying oh, he's going to be part of it. Executive producer. Yeah. He's an executive he's producer. Yes. Part, no, part like, actually be in the show besides being a producer. You think he's going to be like the narrator? That'd be pretty I, cool. Was... No, I think he's going to be, I he, think he's gonna be in the You got to could... do something with him where he makes like a big cameo that you don't expect because you, you don't want people to watch because of Will Smith. You want his influence to be there, but you don't want him necessarily to be watching because he's making an appearance because certain shows try things like that and it doesn't always go well. You think, you think Jada Smith is going to be in it? I don't know. Like, like, I, I, I don't, don't know. Don't know. I but we enough. we don't want to, like I said, get too far off topic. But it was just relevant in terms of their ways to do things without, like I say, I'm um, getting to the point where you're infringing on somebody's intellectual property. Yeah. So, I think what the biggest cases of companies going after fan creations was definitely Nintendo going after a couple of a couple of high profile fan games. Uh, one such a game was uh, AM2R, or 
another Metroid remake too. No, another Metroid two remake. And don't forget the infamous go kart race in Japan that got shut down. That was weird. You know what's weird? I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you a story. So there was this Minecraft mod called Pixelmon in the um in the um Minecraft, right? You know how big Pixelmon. So Nintendo was fine with it for a while. And then they were like, okay, yeah, you can't make, like, you, you could still use the mod, but you can't add new Pokemon to it. Nintendo, admittedly, is well within their rights to do that. But they were fine but... with, it, with it before, though, that's the thing. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah it's Minecraft, it's, it's, I, like, it's a big it's, game. Like, well, I mean, it's, I mean, Nintendo is very wishy-washy. They're, they're basically Japanese Disney, for better or worse. I think that's true. And uh, they also went after, whatchamacallit, uh, a, a fan game, uh, Pokemon Uranium. I remember that. Despite the fact that both of those games, despite, you know, AM, AM2R has all original like assets and all original music, art, uh, even some of the map layouts are original too, despite mostly being a remake of Metroid 2. And uh, Pokemon Uranium has all new assets. And all, everything's original, basically. And, you know, Nintendo took it down because of the idea of, of it being a Pokemon game that could, in theory, rival it. Also, speaking of Japanese Disney, let's talk about American Disney, a.k.a. Disney. Disney is very infamous, and they are the sole... I would argue they're the sole reason as to why copyright law in America has been extended to about 125 years. I'll call it the Mickey Mouse law for nothing. Of course. <laughs> I'm not making that up. It's commonly known as the Mickey Mouse law, the most recent extension. So, and... let me... So, yeah, go ahead. And this is something that Kay and I have talked about. You're talking about... Um... What goes wrong when intellectual property is in the wrong hands? You got to understand, there's no limit. I like to, I personally like to call him the rat because he's so gangster. I mean, we all know Mickey Mouse is no smiling thing. We know he's gangster in terms of how he does things. He's all about control. When they, they made the major, right. when they made that... that major acquisition to purchase Fox, I was surprised when Kate told me to just how many um, movies that Fox was going to work on had to be canceled. We're talking in the hundreds. Ah, man. Like, And that's the thing about intellectual property. Depending on how big your company is, it's not always a matter of that you don't have a good concept. It's just a matter of what the overall company wants. So that's the thing. Um, And I'll mention about Nickelodeon as we talk about that in a second, but I know Star has something he wanted to share, so I'll come back to my thought. So, speaking of the Mickey Mouse Law, January 1st, 2024 is when, in theory, Steamboat Willie will enter the public domain. But assuming that Disney's not going to try again to extend copyright law. And so my question is the ramifications of this, because Steamboat Willie obviously has Mickey Mouse. Does that mean Mickey Mouse himself enters public domain despite, well... 
despite there being hundreds, if not thousands, or even like tens of thousands of things featuring Mickey Mouse? No, the thing you got to understand, the law refers to that particular entity, but long as Disney has the rights to the Mickey Mouse character, and they have done it on one or two occasions, if they make an agreement, somebody may license him for temporary use, but they don't have ownership to it. So no, it, it just all depends on, um, you got to take each and treat each entity individually. Mm. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. So, hmm. actually, from what I'm re- from what I'm reading, if if it comes to pass and Disney doesn't also extend it, it seems as though Disney's claim to the film star will also go with it as well, meaning that that's, anybody can make a Mickey Mouse thing. Yeah, that's interesting because that's not normally how it goes. Normally, it's the opposite because the film would be treated as a separate entity. But that's quite interesting, those ramifications. Like Sherlock Holmes entered a public domain, and now anybody can write a Sherlock Holmes uh, thing without any repercussion. My understanding, Disney's made it a little more complicated, and there's a few other ways they have to fight for Mickey Mouse, so to speak, other than strictly copyright. I think there's some trademarking as to the imagery that they're anticipating using to fight for it in the future. That does make sense. And I think Mickey Mouse's design is a little different than, you know, what he is now. So it might just be restricted to just having to draw Mickey Mouse in black and white. But one thing all of us can agree on, whether we like Mickey Mouse or not, Disney knows the um, importance and influence of intellectual property. Because that was a major move when they acquired Marvel Studios. I mean, that was major in terms of everything that came with that acquisition. Because if you would have told me 10 years ago that Wolverine was going to have um, Mickey Mouse series, I would say you were, you were out of your mind. But now look at where we are. Yeah, they, that's why they also bought Star Wars. But they... Yeah, I'm going to go into that. Somebody cued the Imperial Death March theme. Yeah, that's how I felt about that acquisition. Yeah, I've actually never been to Disney World before. I, I have. Love it. I have. I would. Come on. What about UK? Have you been to Disney World? I went for the first time a couple of years ago. Come on. That means I'm the only one that hasn't been before. I was like, wow, I must have must have not had a childhood then. That dang. But, you know, I, I, I would still love to go as a grown adult. Might be a little awkward unless I, like, have a kid and be like, we're taking my son to Disney World, whether you like it or not. I'll pass. That'd, that'd be, Been that'd there, be a, done it for me. That'd, that'd be a good excuse to take myself to Disney I, World. Honestly, you know, I went, went to... Okay. Okay. I went to Universal Studios also, and they had actually a Crash Bandicoot over there. I will say I enjoy Universal better than Disney, personally. Yeah, I think I think Universal has always been the owner of Crash Bandicoot. Even back in the days when Naughty Dog developed the games, Universal always owned the character. But um, 
before we veer too far off course, I was saying I was going to mention about Nickelodeon. Um, when I went to, and I'm no, we're not necessarily trying to do plugs for. So I just say this. I just say it was a Comic Con, but it was a wasn't that long ago, about four years ago. I went to a big Comic Con in my hometown, and I had the chance to meet Bob Camp. For those who don't know who Bob Camp is, he's the person that was the creator of Ren and Stimpy on Old School Nickelodeon. And I had a very good lengthy conversation with Mr. Camp. And one of the things he was telling me, and this is relevant to what we're talking about is when Nickelodeon first started, it was all about content creation. It wasn't about trying to, you know, sell the most merchandise or get so much commercial appeal, but it was about a group of creators that created what they liked and they really wanted to do that. And they had a passion for it compared to where we are now. Oh yeah, merchandise. And going back to what I was saying, when it comes to intellectual property, unless you're part of a small-scale operation, if you're part of a big-scale operation, to a certain extent, what you value as intellectual property isn't the end-all goal. It's all about profit. Hmm. Yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying, man. It's but i mean like merchandising has always been a thing even since like the early 70s that's why that's part of the like star wars is basically but, a merchandise but, vehicle I'm glad you mentioned that, but let's be honest when we look at the golden era for nickelodeon cartoon network there was some merchandising but was it really like what we see with spongebob now let's be realistic come on it was not bombardment like what we see now with spongebob or even the how Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, well, that's a bad example, so scratch that, but let's use Spongebob as an example. Spongebob, yeah, I'll admit, Spongebob didn't have that much merchandising back then, but it did have a decent amount of merchandising once it became but no, popular. But look at where it's become later, like, they still Yeah, so, the Discord bot okay. that we use keeps... We apologize for the technical difficulties. Okay, we we'll continue to, to work um, through this. It. Is that if there's a way? That's not that's not the issue. Trust me. Okay. Are we back? Yeah, yes, we're back. we are back. So okay. So yeah, yeah go ahead. SpongeBob. Why? It's clear that there's some type of marketing juggernaut in terms of um, SpongeBob because the show quality hasn't gotten any better, and they keep producing episodes, keep making movies, keep making games. So that's why I say it's interesting in terms of if we look at intellectual property, there was a shift from the stuff we grew up on in the 90s and early 2000s where it was all about quality. Because the perfect example, Teen Titans was an exceptional show. Cartoon Network wasn't trying to do all this merchandising blitz. Look at where we are now. Teen Titans Go, there's a merchandising blitz. They're trying to get kids to bug their parents to buy whatever merchandise comes with the show. So that's the thing. Now with intellectual property, a lot of times it's about how much can I capitalize off it versus creating something that people are just going to enjoy for the sake of enjoying it? Let me tell you hmm. this. Teen Titans Go is literally the most, most, um, what is it, what's it called? The most showed um, thing on, on Cartoon Network and it's actually driving other people crazy right now. Wait, wait, wait. You said that it's the most popular show on Cartoon Network? No, it's the most, the like, most shown show. They shown purposely shows. show it every day. Purposely. Oh. And it's um, gone to the point where, like, people, like, started to, like, not even care about Cartoon Network anymore. They're like, if it's going to keep going with Cartoon Network um, two times, then I might as well not watch it. Cartoon Network hasn't been good in years. 
And hey, that's something, good. and that's another topic we can talk about too. In terms of, um, we can tie that in somehow, some type of nostalgia-like topic for another episode because yeah. there's definitely a shift in terms of what we grew up with versus how basically kids are being sold merchandising now. They unfortunately, so we can talk about that. Let's go on to the next topic then, I guess. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, let's talk about the next topic. So I think the next topic we can talk about more about this merchandising push later in a different in a different episode. But for now, let's talk about the newest tech news: AMD and Nvidia. October has been no September. October has been a bombshell for anybody even remotely interested in PC gaming. For starters, in case you're unaware, NVIDIA announced and released the RTX 3000 series, which, which, has really, which has really blown away previous gaming performance. And any claims that consoles might have had, also blown away too. We talk about the pre-order for three, the 380? <laughs> we, 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 we have talked about that in previous episodes, but yes, let's just say that the pre-order situation is still FUBAR. No one can get their hands on a 380, and I certainly haven't. Nobody can. I've had I've had people tweet about it. it's like, oh, I, I can't even get the scheme. I can't even get the 380 right now. I mean, you can get it if you're willing to pay buttholes on eBay a thousand dollars. I want to buy it from like the official from the official. Um, producer, not from some freaking person that bought it, then you have to... Well, the issue it. is that it's going to be this way for probably the rest of the year. And that's not even tying into the mailing delays as a result of COVID. Yes, mailing yeah. delays too. Yes, this is, this is quite crazy, honestly. I can't even imagine. Because I can speak from experience, there was an item that I had purchased and because of mailing delays, the um, seller basically just refunded me my money because it's like, I don't know what's going on. So because of nonsense, you might not even get the product. So I'll just give you your money back. What, what, uh, what item is it? It was, um, this wasn't necessarily tech related, but there was a special jacket made to commemorate um, one of my favorite um, hip hop albums forever famicom and there was a commemorative jacket that was made but unfortunately i won't receive it because of mailing snafu so i was refunding my money so it's that, just something to be aware of too that's bogus man that come on man that totally sucks it does but suck. that's a reality so that's why even though there's so much tech that people do want or have envisioned getting it's no guarantee even though you want it some people want to be the first person to say they got it just know as far as when it arrived, it's just a matter of what the logistics are going to be. I mean, that's just what we're dealing with right now, unfortunately. You know, speaking of speaking of pre-orders, my brother pre-ordered the Oculus Quest 2, and he got it, and he shared it to oh. me. So I can confirm that he has one. Well, let's just see he was fortunate, but I know for a lot of people, let's just be honest, because we all heard about how Amazon broke new records for Prime Day. I mean, they were topping what happened today after Thanksgiving in terms of sale. And let's <laughs> just be honest, if they're making profit like that, it is no guarantee everything is going to be arriving on time because that's just too much to be going out too fast. 
Yeah, I not feel to bad mention, for the workers for over there. <laughs> not to mention 2020 as a whole. So let's not let's not let's not get carried away here. 2020 is also a major thing. I'm sure. I'm sure. Had there been no coronavirus or COVID-19, that Nvidia might have managed to make enough GTX 3080s to sell to everyone. Well, not to everyone, but to a lot of people. A lot of things could have could have, could have been sold quicker. With all with twenty twenty, this didn't happen. I'm kind of just, and... I'm kind of just making conjecture conjecture because a lot of the reason why the the this crap gets sold out is because people use scalpers, scalping bots to buy way more than they should. Tens and... and hundreds of these units. And I'm glad Star mentioned about twenty twenty because college, given the roller coaster that it has been, we will definitely have a recap episode in the future where we'll just talk about the um roller coaster ride that was known as twenty twenty. You know, Kay, at the end of the year. That'll probably you know, be at the end of the year. <laughs> you know, Kay, you haven't said a lot. Uh, is there anything you want to say? Um, not particularly. It's mostly just you've been kind of covering the topics pretty well. Ah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, later topics that I'll have a few things to say. Okay. And so, um, what are your what what are you guys' thoughts on AMD's new five thousand series processors? The three. I'm sorry, I have not heard anything from AMD, so I'm not intrigued into this topic. (laughs) Well, AMD. The the pro the the processors are out. You can buy them, or I think at least the influencers have them. And the benchmarks are said to be better than Intel. Which I mean, they've been they've been destroying Intel and productivity, but now they've truly encroached onto Intel's territories in regards to well gaming. Um. Seems to be some sort of technical issue with Elroy. You can't hear. Yeah, so, anyways. Yeah, they're supposed to be better than Intel and gaming now. And as a result, the prices have gone up, too. AMD, for the first time in a very long time, has seen it fit to increase their prices above Intel's offerings. Huh. Any any better, Elroy? Can you hear us now? Yes, I'm back. So <laughs> AMD. So basically, the gist of it is that AMD um, has create has significant improvements in per clock performance as well as increased clock speeds in their new in their new Zen three processors, which can be slotted onto your pre existing Zen two and uh, Zen one or Zen plus motherboards. If I'm not mistaken, that is. And not to mention, they've basically encroached on Intel's claim to fame being the best quote unquote gaming processor now. And as a result, they've seen it fit to increase their price their pricing above Intel's pricing across the board. So what are your thoughts on this? This doesn't become kind of a race to the top in prices. We're looking at the clash of the titans when it comes to um, graphics. Well, 
when it comes to graphics, AMD is the only other competitor for NVIDIA, and AMD hasn't given us any information on Big Navi, not yet. The, they say that the, pro, the performance is, pro, is comparable to an RTX 3080. The truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter how good it is if the pricing is totally out of whack. Like, most people will only buy AMD if it's either significantly better than whatever NVIDIA is offering, or, well, if the pricing is, well, a lot more fair, so to speak. So, um, uh, when, do you, when do you think you guys will be upgrading your PCs, if at all? I have a laptop, so I don't matter. <laughs> do you not have a desktop? No, not at the moment. I'm trying. To, I'm thinking of building one, but you know, that's a waiting. project um, I'm going to eventually endeavor to do because I'm going to go the PC route in lieu of getting a next gen console. <laughs> yeah, who do you think convinced you to do that now, Elroy? We'll talk off um, the oh, after the podcast about yeah. that. Yeah, we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that later. As for you, immortal you, I definitely think you should embark on that same journey. Build your PC, but only when you can assuredly get those um, uh, parts at reasonable at the MSRP at the very minimum. I don't have a lot of space in my place right now, so. <laughs> I mean, this place is so is, is basically crowded to the point where, like, I'm like, okay, if I'm no, gonna no, build a PC, you can you can build like an Xbox sized PC. You can build like those mini ITX PCs. They're really small. Where yeah, am I supposed to put it? <laughs> um, I, anywhere basically. Yeah. But like you know, I mean, I can show you some examples off camera. Oh, well, like, well, well, I like I like I like I like the laptop for right now, so. Laptops are my thing, my personal kinds of things. So if I want, if I could build my own laptop, I'd be fine with it. But if I want to build a desktop, that's gonna take a freaking. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not that great at building stuff. <laughs> I see. And what about you? Uh, what about UK? Do you have any intentions of of, of upgrading your desktop or making this one if you don't have one? I might in the next couple of years. I think. Well, you know, me, I am addicted to having the best of the best, and I don't even have the best of the best, but I have a pretty dang good PC now. I'd love if I, I'd love to just upgrade my computer now. Watch, watch. Uh, I mean, Starlogical Star is, is going to freaking get a 380 one of these days. One of these well, we days? know that's going to happen. We already know that's happening. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna be quite frank. I do think I need more RAM now because I think I'm I'm starting to hit the limitations of 16 gigs of RAM when it comes to video editing, especially when it comes to video editing these podcasts together. Because as soon as I start rendering it, it jumps all the way to 100% RAM usage, which is not a good sign. What? Wait, is it RAM usage or a network issue? RAM usage. Okay. I have to render a lot of special effects for the the the. The, the the podcast, and I guess just videos in general. I, I I think RAM would. I think RAM is a necessary upgrade for me. I think the did rest you of say my you have. Oh, sorry, how much RAM did you say you have? Sixteen gigs. Yeah, you need to upgrade that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking. 
I'm thinking I upgrade to 32 gigs. See, I think I have a laptop that's like... I think it's like one, 120 something. I don't remember what it was. It was a freaking oh, monster. Uh -huh. 120 something gigs of RAM, or are you talking about like storage space? There's the, there's a difference. No, the storage space was one terabyte. Let's say that, but the RAM was actually pretty big too. So I don't remember what it was. Ah, well, I see. So yeah, hopefully I can get a 32 gigabyte kit and just use both for 48 gigs of RAM. That'd be pretty sweet. So let's move on to the next topic at hand: graphene. So. Before I mention talk about anything, who here is familiar with the the super material? More or less, yes. Not me. I've never heard of it in my life. Elroy, are you familiar with graphene? I read up on it a little bit, but not as well versus you or Kane. So, for those of you who are uninitiated, such as Immortal, as well as the rest of the audience, hopefully. Graphene is essentially a super material that consists of a microscopically thin sheet of carbon atoms, basically. And it's said to be the strongest and lightest material in existence right now. The only issue is that it's never left the lab because of manufacturing constraints. But there's a multitude of uses that this super material can be you know, used for. And I think, and I think K is more of a reputable sub reputable source of this than I am. So why don't you take it away, K? Well, more or less, the difficulty is that it can't be produced at much more than a microscopic level. It's in effect, it's just a bunch of carbon atoms linked together either in a line or in a two dimensional array. So the result of that would be you'd get something that's incredibly lightweight and incredibly strong. But as I said, the issue is we can't really produce it, last I checked, much more than, as I said, microscopic levels. Mm -hmm. So what about some potential uses for this super material? And, and I... Yeah, go ahead. I would say, you name it, anything that realistically could be used uh, could require a stronger or more lightweight material. I think one of the examples I always remember hearing about was things for like space elevators or various aeronautical equipment, um, lab equipment. It has a lot of interesting applications, just as anything that is a stronger uh, metal would be. Mm, yeah, and it's a it's a very interesting sort of. Well, hold on. What's what's going on here? Yeah. It's so. Yeah. So um. Uh, yeah. Basically. Basically, yeah. That's it. It's a super material, and there's a lot of. There's a lot of potential for what could be used. What could be used for that said, none of this really matters if it can't leave the lab. And, uh, anyways, any final thoughts on this? 
I don't have anything. I really don't know. Okay. And so I would look into it if yourself. It's some, it's some pretty good stuff, though. I'm no scientist. I don't work in lab, and I've never actually seen the material myself, so there's not much I can really say about it. And I would presume the same for K. No, I've never seen any in person or anything like that, no. It'd be super cool, though, to, like, have... Speaking of which, let's move on to the next topic at hand. Fake news. Mainly the propagation of fake news within social media. So how many of you guys have a Facebook? Or I'm Twitter? on social media. So I'll say that I'm an avid social media user. How many of you have Instagram? Yeah, you all have social medias? Good, because that will, because this illustrates the point, quite frankly. How many of you guys on Facebook see people ranting about things or spreading some sort of, trying to, trying to talk about some sort of misinformation only for people to get argumentative? On your timeline too. They call political advertisements. I stopped. I stopped caring about about what, how what people were saying. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like once once someone someone says says something, like you either think like two things, two things come on. They're telling they're telling you about something, or and this is why I stay away from from any news and social media because like it's, a, it's literally just wants to grab your grab your attention. <laughs> How many of you guys would say that you guys have had have friends on have friends you know that really annoy you in social media who really piss you off? I have my fair share of people on social media. I do. I've seen people I really get that I get mad at. <laughs> mm, yeah, me too, man. Yeah, I think all of us have had that experience. And so the issue with the issue with social media is that there's no real there's no real way to moderate it. And a lot of people, it seems to me, I don't want to say they're uneducated, but I mean they're just kind of uneducated. Unless well, the, unless you're um unless you're a oh. No, I shouldn't say they're uneducated. I should say more so that they're unwilling to fact check themselves. They're unwilling to put in the work to really, like, really check to see if it's true or not. You know? Look, mm-hmm. put your iPhone in the microwave. It's going to charge it. Okay. Beep, beep. Oh no, my iPhone exploded. How could you do this to me, Kay? Uh, a little fake story that made its rounds long ago. Yes, I remember 4chan had a brilliant idea, and they decided to do that. People are just so willing to believe whatever, as long as it looks presentable. People are willing um, to All of us have seen the Spider-Man movie, and Kay loves to reference partic- this particular character, but you gotta realize that the whole idea of a J. Jonah Jameson came from somewhere. And it ties into what we're talking about perfectly. Spider-Man, sensationalist. You know what drives? You know what drives newspapers? Sales, not news. Spider-Man is a menace. Spider-Man is a menace. I can't do it. That's your reference right there. Yes, but like, 
Yeah, Spider Spider Man is a menace, <laughs> but he's also one of the greatest heroes of all time, which is why the news covers him, and also it makes a lot of money, especially since Peter Parking Peter Parking does both of the uh, both the Spider Man and the Spider Man's photographer's part, which is kind of bullcrap if you really think about it. Yeah, but you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta remember, this is New York City is not cheap to live there. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh man, honestly, honestly, I I just want to point out to my viewers that I don't know what kind of people you are, but I would hope that you put in the effort to really discover the truth for yourself. I'm not saying don't trust any adults or don't trust anyone that you know to be smart, but I'm saying discover, try to discover the truth for yourself. That's the biggest problem we have in society. Remember what the X-Files taught us, ladies and gentlemen, the truth is out there. That's good. That's a good reference. I haven't seen the X-Files in years. Now, as for our final topic, let's talk about the Apple events. As you know, Apple recently had an event about a few days ago. And they announced some really, really cool-looking products. And they announced... Well, they announced the new stuff. They announced the iPhone 12, 12 Pro with 5G, MagSafe, and the HomePod Mini. So are you guys familiar, so are you guys familiar with the old MagSafe technology um, uh, that Apple used to use? Oh, sorry, my dog's working. Um, no, not really. No. So, so, Kay, you said yes, right? Uh, anyway, so yeah, so essentially MagSafe used to be for MacBooks. Essentially, before they switched to using Type-C for charging their laptops, MacBooks used to be known for having pseudo-magnetic cables that would easily detach upon, like, being tripped over or, like, yanked or whatever. Like, you've seen them, right? Essentially, magnetic cables break away. Like, you have... How many times have you guys tripped on, like, electronic wires? Far too many times. Depends. That that alleviates it because normally when you trip on it, it you, you fall and your electronic gets messed up. It's the worst of both worlds. <laughs> Whereas in a world with in a world with old MagSafe style charging, essentially if you trip over it, it just safely disconnects from your laptop. You might still trip. Let me be let me be quite frank. You might still trip, but the fact of the matter is, your laptop is safe, and that's probably the best thing Apple has ever done. Okay, Almost. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. So they're bringing back MagSafe, but as a sort of like system of magnets for iPhone 12 as an accessory. Essentially, there's some magnetic coils in the back that allows you to attach things via magnets on your phone. Like you know, in college they give you those crappy little like things where you put your like credit cards or like or cards or whatever in on the back of your phone. Like you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, like you stick it on the back of your phone. Okay, so now 
they made a version of that where it attaches via magnets instead on the back of your phone. I think that's really cool. I don't think adding magnets to something... Well, the funny thing about the whole sticker on the back of the phone is you don't want to put magnets around credit cards. That is true. No, that that could go very badly. I'm sure Apple. I'm sure Apple can figure out a way around that. Otherwise, you know, you just have a you have something that'll potentially and potentially wipe out your credit card, make it unusable. I think the most interesting thing about this launch is not necessarily what the iPhone 12 has, but what the iPhone 12 doesn't come with. We've got another instance Uh, of that. I I heard it doesn't come with a block. It comes with a light. What? What? You. It does not come with the ability to charge it. So it's just a phone, basically, is what you're saying. No way to charge it unless you buy additional accessories. That that's that's honestly the most unthinkable thing that Apple has actually done. Not including a charger. Come on, that's like. What if you're buying it? What if this is Tim, little Timmy's first iPhone? You're just gonna have. He's just not gonna be able to charge it until like his charger comes home within the next like next week or so. And I think the fact that app, well, I mean, they say that Apple did this for environmental sake, but like, how much space does that really save? Hmm. I mean, uh, listen, you have you 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 have charges at home, so I'm guessing like there's a oh, reason. I don't, oh yeah, definitely. I have a ton of iPhone chargers laying around my house, despite the fact that I don't own an iPhone. But the fact of the matter is that. Apple should have included one. You know, official. You know, official lightning cables are expensive as crap. They're like twenty bucks a pop. And I'm not saying that you know you can't you can't just go and buy some third party Chinese cable for like a fraction of that price. But come on, that shouldn't even be a real consideration, especially if we're using the phone outside of the right right outside of the box. See this like I like a lot of things Apple does, despite the fact that I'm not a huge Apple fan myself. But the fact of the matter is they the fact that Apple does this crap and the fact that every other manufacturer in the world seems to copy the really bad stuff that Apple does is a bunch of bull crap. Can we talk Remember, about the Apple versus Epic games issue for a little bit? Because that, that's also another thing. That's we have on the mind. And from the last time we talked about it, nothing's really changed. Though a lot of companies have started to join forces with Epic, and mostly like Spotify, Amazon, Microsoft, and they're they're no they're no there's they're big people that are joining against this. And I think the biggest ramification is what would happen to Apple if, let's say, they lose. Let's say let's say that. They make it fifteen percent instead of thirty percent. That's half their profits. 
and I and I believe Apple makes a couple of billion, a couple billions from the App Store, mostly because people are buying less and less hardware from them. Who's at fault, though? The question is because I think Epic Games is at fault mostly because they wrote a contract about for it. Yeah, it's Epic. Epic totally calculated this whole thing. Okay, like I'm sure it like. Apple, but I guess they didn't plan on Apple going totally nuclear, but the fact of the matter is that Apple, I mean, Epic Games knew this was going to happen. They knew that they were going to get blocked, and so they prepared this 64-page document to Google and Apple, should they have been removed. I don't and think- I mean... And I mean, Epic is kind of scummy for doing this because, oh, come on. And because, let's be frank, frank, the only reason why they're doing this is for money. And they want to open their own Epic Game Store store on iOS. And I presume um, presume Android as well. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're not totally wrong. Apple does have a monopoly, as does Google. It's a duopoly, really. And I'm going to be quite frank with you. I am all. I I do hope Epic wins, so that Apple, not so not so that Epic can get their own store, but so that developers can get their more of their fair share of being paid. You know, like do you think thir- do you think thirty percent is excessive for someone like Apple or Google, for that matter, guys? Pretty sizable chunk of the pie, so to speak. I agree. That's actually a pretty big chunk. <laughs> Not gonna lie. And what about you, Elroy? Repeat the question, please. Do you think thirty percent is an excessive amount for Apple to be claiming on these digital purchases? That's. I'm with um, Immortal. That is a sizable chunk when you're talking about all, basically almost a third of it. So um, that so is the, something to think about in terms of if you were negotiating with them. So the 30%, if I'm not mistaken, originated from retail, you know, physical brick-and-mortar stores, right? Like, there's a, I mean, there's a lot that has to be done, and the 30%, it was more worth it, I guess. You have to pay for you know, shipping, you have to pay for shelving, you have to pay for the product itself, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and also they had to get paid too. But you know what I mean? Apple doesn't, like, when you're, pay, pay, when you're buying V-Bucks, you're not, Apple's not shipping them from California to your local Apple store in, let's say, Virginia or D.C. No, no, it's all digital. There's no shelving. There's no inventory. There's no possibility of running out of stock when it comes to these virtual goods. And yet, Apple still is making a killing off this. As is Google. Like, don't get me wrong. Google's also in on this. As as are all as are all console um, uh, develop. As are all console publishers too. Thirty percent is a standard, but deep and. Everyone makes that 30%, but the fact that, I mean, some of the bigger players make, some of the bigger people, like, uh, 
let's say Netflix. They have they have more exclusive negotiated rates, right? And you know that. And it's also gotten to the point where you can't even register for like a Netflix account on your Apple device because they're trying to bypass Apple's thirty percent. And you also can't do it on Spotify too. So ultimately, it's ultimately I think Apple's policies are a little draconian. Uh, that said. What kind of phone are you guys rocking? Android over here. I'm on an iPhone. I'm at what model of phones? Um, Galaxy. What? It's not a Note. I got the S12. You mean the S20? S20. Thank you. Sorry. And uh, yeah, I have an S8. I want up. I do want to upgrade my phone soon. I might. I'm looking into getting the S20 Fan Edition, but that's still expensive. I just want phone prices to just drop down again to reasonable prices. Um, as we shifted towards a more mobile society, that's not happening. Um, of course not. If anything, phones are just going to get more expensive. Which is funny because they've begun to outstrip, like, you know, gaming PCs, too, in terms of pricing. More stuff you could do in the mobiles, mobile, but, yeah. Like, you can buy, you can literally buy an S20 or Note 20 Ultra. What was that? You, you okay, UK okay, Mortal? Um, my dog uh, dropped my my headphones. My bad. Okay, oh, all is well. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. there was something else that was interesting in um Apple's presentation because it makes me wonder. Eventually, when do we get the steel case match between Alexa and um Siri? Siri. Because there was something that looked very eerily reminiscent of the Amazon Echo. That was in that um presentation. I'm sure I'm not the only one that noticed that. Ah, you have a good eye. I see you're. I see you're talking about the HomePod. Yes. See, the only reason why I didn't mention that was because Siri's a piece of crap. Basically, for whatever reason, any Siri, Siri used to be the cutting edge technology back when it first came out. And now it's basically the worst of the is basically the worst of the uh, virtual assistants. It's even worse than Cortana. And you know what Cort Cortana. <laughs> and you, you, you know Cortana literally died in a Halo game and came back as the villain of a Halo game too. So there's hey, that. Some of these too. people have not played the game. I'm sorry, but some of these people have right, played the game. All right, well, Halo Four and Five are like almost five and like ten years old, respectively. So that's their loss. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah, Siri is basically the worst virtual assistant. It's beaten by basically any other virtual assistant. It's beaten by Amazon Alexa. It's beaten by Cortana. It's beaten by Google Assistant, which is the best one, by the way. 
And personally, if you're gonna get if you're gonna get a home assistant, I would stick with either Echo or Google because they have established things. They have established skills and programs and whatnot that you can get for them. And you know, it's funny. And this could be a potential um, future um, show topic as well. But, you know, I'm probably going to be known as the pop culture reference guy now, especially after tonight, because um, you know what um, movie predicted that we would have all of these kinds of assistants in the home? There's a Disney made-for-TV movie called Smart House, and that was the whole premise of the movie in terms of the technology was doing everything. It was only what so much you had to do. So just something to think about this. in terms of predictive programming. That's what you call it, predictive programming, where... Um, media will often predict what might end up becoming a trend that, you know, is a universal part of our lives, whether it's the iPhone or a number of other instances as well. But yes, so maybe we need to do that too for future reference. Check out the movie Smart House and talk about it. Well, you know, there was a Ray Bradbury short story that predicted this sort of thing as well. Fahrenheit 451? No, it wasn't Fahrenheit 451. What's wrong with that? No, I forget the name of it, but essentially the family has already died in the nuclear apocalypse. But what's left behind is their smart house still pre- preparing like everything for them. Granted, it's a lot smarter than the houses we have because it like dresses the family as well as like cooks bacon and eggs and bacon and stuff like that. But yeah, that's ba- I mean that's basically it. It's a, it's a, it's, a, well, it's a fully smart house to it. But like as you talk about the smart house that Bradbury alluded to, that was the Jetsons, essentially. Rosie, the um, maid, did everything. Literally everything. Ah, oh, the Jetsons. That, that's a, now that's a show I haven't seen in years. But, I mean, that is, when you talk about the idea of a smart house, that was, like, probably the first example you had right there. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's kind of the romance behind it. It's a fu- It's a future home. I guess the issue is that no one really imagined that it would be at the cost of your privacy, so to speak. And you know, I hate I hate to say I hate to say it, but it's essentially a wiretap. Wiretap, give me a recipe for my my anything. Okay, based on your search. Okay, based on your search history, it seems that you need a recipe for how to make sushi. Here are the instructions. Yeah, like you know, like you know, like it's basically a wiretap, man. You know, these companies are more than willing to give your information away to the highest bidder or the government, if need be. And your phones are also your your wiretaps too. Anything's wiretapped, and uh, and, uh, and uh, let me, let me be fr- let me be quite frank. You know that how like people are afraid of vaccines because they're afraid that the government is gonna microchip them and shit like that. Like you've heard the conspiracy theories, right? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It, no, but it's actually it's something people actually believe in. Like, people believe in a lot of crazy stuff, but the fact of the matter is that the government doesn't even need microchips. They ha- You already have the perfect wiretap, your smartphone. It already knows everything you know. It already knows, every- it knows more about you than you know about yourself. 
and and the co and the corporations behind that data are more than willing to sell your information. So I mean, there's no there's no real need for a microchip. It's already you already have one. Am I just no? No, nope, because we have tracking beacons called mobile devices. Those are effective tracking beacons, whether you have location on or not. That's what I'm saying. And that's what some people think, well, I'm safe because I turn my location off. No, it's still a tracking beacon. Anyways, any final thoughts on anything? We we went, like, way off the rails there. No final thoughts? Well, right, this I is guess. my first time doing something like this, so I enjoyed it. Yeah, so hopefully we'll have you around next time, especially with Budgerific too. Yeah. It's a good time. <laughs>